Well, let's turn on our Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis and the chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And we pray the Lord will be with us as we meet before him this evening. Genesis 15. And we'll read the first part of this chapter from verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. Amen. The Lord will bless the reading of his word to all of our hearts. And again, we'll just have a word of prayer before we look at these verses, look at the theme the Lord has given for tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before thee and we thank thee for thy presence with us already. We come to one who is king. And we desire, O Lord, that Thou wilt help us as we draw near, as we bow down in Thy presence, as we wait at Thy feet. We thank Thee for the mediation of Christ and for all of His righteousness imputed to us, so that when Thou dost look upon us, You see Your own beloved Son. You see us in union with Him, and we are accepted as Thy servant has already prayed. O Lord, bless us now. Bless the word to which we turn we pray for help by the Spirit. We pray for this Word to open up to us, to come with freshness to our hearts and our minds. O Lord, give us that understanding of the verses that lie before us. We want Thee to speak to us. We want the Lord to come to us as You came to Abram all those many, many generations ago. O Lord, come to us tonight and draw our hearts out after Thee as you drew his heart out. And, O Lord, meet with us, bless us, speak to us, and do us good. We ask this in Jesus' name, and for his sake, and for his eternal glory. Amen and amen. Now, in Abraham's spiritual life, there were what we might call various mountain peaks, and this is one of them that we've read about here in Genesis 15. As... It is so often in the case of the lives of men of God and Scripture, this mighty spiritual experience took place during the night time. We learn that because when the Lord was dealing with Abram here and speaking to him, he took him out, we're told, and he showed him the heavens and pointed to the stars. So, as far as I know, the stars come out at night, and that means that this was a nighttime scene a nighttime experience for this man of God, as I say, like many of the other servants of the Lord. And so the night had come down, 
But Abram, Abram was, uh, was not alone. Uh, he was with the Lord. He was alone as far as we can tell with regard to human company, nobody else mentioned. And yet the Lord is there. He entered into a blessed time with the God whom he had come to know and whom he had come to love. Above all else, prayer marked this event. Summarized for us in the words of verse 2, the opening words of that verse. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Lord God, what wilt thou give me? That's a, a plea, that's a prayer, that's a, a petition arising from the heart of the patriarch. It's a brief prayer, but it gives us an insight into the character of the event that is recorded for us in these verses. This was a season of communion. We notice here, I mean communion with God. You notice here in verse 1 and also in verse 4, these words. It says in verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, and then verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, it was a season, therefore, of personal communion between the Lord and Abram. The, tar the terms here signify a person. He's called the Word of the Lord. And that's a very significant name in Scripture given to our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the Word of the Lord. And so this is a Christophany. This is an appearance of Christ in a vision to Abram. He comes to this man in a personal and a visible manner to commune with him, to deal with him, to speak to him. He comes under this title, the Word of the Lord, as an indication that he had something fresh to reveal to the Lord's servant. You see, true seasons of communion will be marked by the hearing of the Word, by the Lord speaking, by the Lord bringing to us what he wants us to know, what he wants us to hear, what is his will as far as his revelation to us is concerned through his own words. So the word of the Lord came to Abram. And you notice what it actually says there in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying. That tells you it's a person. That means speaking. And so he's there to speak to Abram. So it's a season of communion. It's also a season of challenge. Abraham, or Abram as he still is, felt the challenge of the occasion indicated by the fact that he began to lay hold upon the Lord in prayer. The Lord drew near to Abraham. Notice that, by the way, it says that in both verses 1 and 4. The Lord drew near to him or came to him because the Lord's the one who initiates communion with his people. He's the one who takes the first step, as it were, and draws his people out. And so this season of communion then became a season of challenge. And so what I mean by that is that as the Lord drew near to Abram, his response was to draw near in prayer with deep intensity, with a, a tremendous burden upon his soul. We learn from that that we must not fail to respond to the Lord in the place of prayer. We are to lay hold upon him as we sense him drawing near to us. That's very important in the private place. We should go alone with the Lord. We want to commune with him, meet with him, and call upon him, and so on. 
And the challenge is that as we sense the Lord drawing near, so we are also to draw nigh unto him. You know how James writes that way, that, in that particular way there in his epistle about drawing near to the Lord and the Lord drawing near to us. And so that's the challenge always in the place of prayer. And in the place of prayer, we're not to slacken off. When you think about it, a little later we'll get down to prayer and we could just switch off. We could say to ourselves, well, my eyes are closed. Nobody will know I'm sleeping. And I'll, I'll take it easy here, or I'll doze along right through the whole time of prayer. You may think I'm being humorous, but you know, that does happen. And we're not to allow that to happen. We are to draw near to God, consciously and deliberately, and taking up the challenge. And all that we might feel the Lord drawing near to us tonight, in a season of communion, bringing the challenge to our hearts, I want you to draw near to me. That's what the Lord is saying to us. And call upon me. In addition, it was a season of conquest. Because Abram obtained a mighty answer from the Lord as the subsequent verses actually show. And in that sense, he conquered. In terms of overcoming many struggles that were going on in his own soul. You see, brethren and sisters, as I said earlier, the Lord initiated this time because he knew that Abram was struggling. He knew that he was wrestling with something. And I've entitled this message tonight in that particular way, Abram's wrestling with God. And that's exactly what is going on. But he has been wrestling already. He has been uh, looking away to the Lord already but it deepens now, it increases, and therefore it becomes a season of conquest because as I hope to show you, Abram conquered, he overcame, and he was a man who was given much that night in terms of the Lord's answer, the Lord's further revelation to him. And so in that way he, he conquered. He, he, he had a time of conquest, a season of conquest with the Lord in his own soul. So here's what we see by way of introduction to this passage. A season of communion, a season of challenge, a season of conquest. And it's underlined in those words in verse 2, Lord, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? There's his very first words. Lord God, what wilt thou give me? He's praying, and that's how he begins to pray. There are three things about that I want to leave with you. Number one, the motivation of this prayer. is seen in the latter part, I mean the motivation, is seen in the latter part of verse 1. Just take the whole verse. After these things, the word of the Lord came on to Abram a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. Now, this was a mighty statement of what the Lord was to Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The Lord wants Abram to be aware of his loving regard for him and his purpose and determination to care for Abram and also meet all the needs of this man in his life and lead him on and bless him mightily. That's what motivates Abram to pray because those words signify all that. God's care for him, God's interest in him, God's determination to 
fulfill the purposes that he has for Abram in his life. And so that motivated Abram to pray. As soon as he heard that, he said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? So he takes up what the Lord has said to him and he enters into this time of prayer. He's motivated to pray. Notice how the statement begins in verse 1. It says, fear not, Abram. And for certain reasons, fear remained in Abram's soul. It was there in his heart that night. And the Lord knew it was there. He could read Abram's thoughts. He could look in and see his heart. And he could see that struggle that I mentioned. He could see that battle that's going on in this man's inner being. And that's the wonderful thing about the Lord. Here, there's no mention earlier of, of anything that Abram says. He's silent, we might presume. He's not saying a word, but the Lord has read his thoughts. The Lord has looked right into his soul. And he knows that Abram has got a certain fear in his heart. And so he says to him, to begin with, fear not, Abram. And so in that statement then that he goes on to make, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. We notice two details that motivated Abram to draw near and, and call upon his Lord. He said, I am thy shield. What was he saying to Abram there? He was saying, I am thy protector. Now the background to this, of course, is chapter 14. And what had happened in chapter 14? Well, you'll know the story, I'm sure, about Lot being taken captive and so forth, and Abram going forth to rescue Lot, and that's all described for us in chapter 14. We're not going to read the verses for time's sake, but verses 14 through to 16, you read there of Abram going to battle, going to rescue Lot. And he overcame there. He, he brought Lot home and, and recovered everything and then returned to the king of Sodom with all that he had actually uh, won home or won back out there in the battlefield. But you see, though he was the victor there in that physical battle, there was a fear in his heart. And it may have been, and I make that suggestion, it may have been that he was afraid of reprisal. Because while he has won that particular battle, it does not mean that the enemy will have gone away or that there will not be some fresh foe rise up to come against the man of God. You see, our battles never end. The conflicts of the saints, one may be won and we gain the victory and then another comes and undoubtedly the man of God has got that in his mind. And so the Lord comes and he says to Abram, I am thy shield. And I really noticed that afresh when I was looking at this passage. It's in the present tense. Uh, the word am's in italics, but that's the sense given to us. I am thy shield. And what that means is, Abram, I was your shield when you were out there rescuing Lot. I am your shield. And therefore, I remain your shield. This is the first time in the Bible that you find the word shield. And you always should note whenever something occurs for the first time. I remember as a young Christian or a young free Presbyterian, I don't know how many times I heard Dr. Paisley say, the law of the first mention, and the first time a word is used, etc. You always note it. And here's the first time that the word shield is found in the Bible. And so 
uh, when we think about that, that's very striking because it indicates the, the fact of battle in which we are engaged. Take a shield, what's it for? It was used in the battlefield, and the Lord says to Abram, you've been out in the battle, you've fought these people, you've recovered Lot, and I am your shield. I was with you then, and I'm still with you now. And so the Lord is our shield. He's our shield to cover us. Think about the usages of a shield. As you go through the Bible, a shield is used. In fact, the, the, the shield in the Bible, you take especially the Christian's armor. It was a huge thing. This wasn't a little thing like a dish. It covered the entire <laughs> And therefore, the Lord covers his people completely when he's our shield. A shield was also used to turn aside the fiery darts. And again, think of Ephesians 6. To quench all the fiery darts of the devil, Paul writes there, the shield of faith. And then, of course, to drive back our foes, the soldier could use the shield as a kind of a, a ram that he would take and he would push against the enemy. The shield had many, many purposes, many, many usages. And so this is what motivates Abram for one thing, that the Lord was his protector. He says, Abram, I am your shield. I know your fears. I know what's going on in your heart. I know your wrestlings. But I am going to look after you. And that moved him to pray. The Lord said something else. Not only I am thy shield, he said, thy exceeding great reward. So what's he saying there? Abram, I am your provider. He's Abram's protector. He's Abram's provider. And again, in the preceding context, you can see the importance of the Lord saying this. I am the exceeding great reward. What had just happened? Abram came home from the battlefield, having recovered Lot and all the goods and so on. And the king of Sodom wanted him to take a reward. He wanted him to take a, a, a sizable amount of the spoil that had been gleaned in that battle. But Abram refused it. You see that there? Excuse me, in verse 23 of chapter 14, it says this. In fact, we'll read verse 22. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that, that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. And so he refused the reward that the man of the world would have given him. Well, yes, what he had done that night was recognized as a great victory and, and the king of Sodom was ready to reward him. Remember, of course, this is the point, Sodom is not a good place. And we know that from chapter 13 because Lot is living there from that point onwards. And we're told in chapter 13 that the men of Sodom were exceeding, uh, exceedingly wicked men and their wickedness rose up to heaven already. And so Abram, his chief purpose in going out that night was not to make himself rich, it was to rescue his nephew who was foolish and wayward and never should have been living in Sodom to begin with. He wants to get him back because Lot's a righteous man. He's a brother in the Lord to Abram, as well as being a nephew physically. And so he goes out to get that man who should not have been living there 
And for that reason, his whole purpose was to, was to uh, bring to Lot what he needed in terms of deliverance from the foolish situation in which he was found, although he didn't actually move from Sodom at this point. But anyhow, Abram had no interest in the physical remuneration that he was offered. And so now the Lord comes to him and he says, Abram, I'm your shield and I'm your exceeding great reward. You see, Abram had honored the Lord. He had proved his God already in that battle. And the Lord is now coming to honor him. His heart's full of fear, and yet he hears these wonderful words. that The Lord is protector, and the Lord is his provider, and therefore he is moved to pray. And by the way, you will notice how Abram's responding here when he says in verse 2, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? You're telling me, Lord, you're my protector. You're telling me, Lord, you're my provider. Now, what are you going to give me? Now, that was not boldness or brazenness. That's a man of God responding to the revelation of God in faith. And in this mighty desire to see the Lord work in his life, work in his circumstances, it's a cry Yes, for protection even more, and also a cry for the provision of which the Lord has spoken. I'm your shield, I'm your protector, therefore I am your exceeding great reward, I'm your provider. And therefore the immediate response says, Lord, what will you give me? He's not greedy, it's not for himself, he wants something more than he already has got from the Lord. He has met with the Lord in Ur of the Chaldees, that's where Abram was saved. That's where he was awakened. He was brought up out of earth, the Chaldees, away from the iniquity of that place into the land of Canaan as a sojourner and a pilgrim. Remember what Hebrews says. He went out from earth, the Chaldees, from Mesopotamia, and he had no idea where he was going. Just step by step, he followed the Lord in obedience and in submission to his will. And he's at a point now where he's in prayer and the Lord comes and the Lord motivates him to pray by giving to him these wonderful words. So the fundamental motivation to seek the Lord rests on who and what the Lord is to us. Do you see that? That's what should move us to pray. Who the Lord is to us, what the Lord is to us. Who he is to us in the sense that he's our protector, he's our provider, because he is our redeemer. Because he has entered into a gracious, saving, covenant relationship with us. That's, why he had, that's what he had done with Abram. He took this man who was an idolater, a heathen, a pagan, worshipping idols. He entered into covenant with him. He has saved his soul. He's enlightened his mind. He has justified him. And now he's leading him on in that covenant relationship with the servant of God, and he's showing him, I will protect you and I will provide you. Dear believer, you are able to come to the Lord tonight or any other time, uh, whether in private or in public, and, and feel your heart move to pray because of who the Lord is to you and what he is to you. And I trust that will get home to you tonight. 
That's what should always move us to pray. Not some selfish thing, not some, as James says, we're not to pray just to consume it upon our own loss. We're not to pray just to get what we would like to get out of the Lord. No, we come to pray because of who he is and because of what he is. And so there's his motivation in prayer. But then there's secondly here, quickly, the measure of this prayer, as well as the motivation of it, the measure of it. Consider the words of verse 2, part B. And notice what you find there. I'll just read the whole of verse 2 to keep it connected. The Lord, Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And so when I talk about the measure of his prayer, I am referring to this issue. How do we, how do we analyze this man's prayer? How do we measure it? What is it really? Well, I see it in this sense of the measure of this prayer that his plea is really a confession. It's a confession of his own frailty. He says there in verse number 2, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And then on to verse 3, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Now those two sentiments go together. I go childless. Thou hast given me no seed. He's wrestling over his fruitlessness. There had been no child within his marriage to Sarah. He's also wrestling over his powerlessness. He's powerless to change the situation. And that's what I mean when I say this is a confession of his frailty. But as we think about it, it's a revelation of us, isn't it? When we come before the Lord to seek him and to wait upon him, is that not really the measure of true praying, real praying, The fact that we come to confess before God that we are smitten with fruitlessness and powerlessness in our spiritual lives. My dear friend, that's always true. Are we as fruitful, are we as powerful as Christians as we ought to be, as we even would love to be? Is it not our lament that we go childless? I'm talking about I'm not talking about earthly children. I've got six of them, and that's enough. Twelve grandchildren. But anyhow, we're not talking about that tonight. We're talking about spiritual matters. Spiritually, not as fruitful, not as powerful as we would like to be. Does that not cause our hearts to bleed and to to fail before the Lord, the desperate state that we're in? something that needs to be changed and altered. So there is this element here in his plea, uh, his own frailties. I have no seed, and I'm powerless to do anything about it. And so that's how to pray, brothers and sisters, because our unfruitfulness or our fruitlessness, spiritually speaking, can only be changed by God's power by what the Lord does. So it's a confession of his frailty. That's the measure of his prayer. It's also a confession of his faith. Because when we consider this plea, 
that you find in verse 2, I go childless. In verse 3, to me thou hast given no seed, and so on. When we consider that plea in the confession that it contains, this confession of frailty, we can also hear Abraham in these words, pleading with God on the basis of his initial promise. Go back to chapter 12. And notice, and you will know this. I'm not showing you anything new, but you will know this. Chapter 12 and the first few verses, the Lord has said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country. And you know these words well. Verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. Verse number 3, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is what I mean by the initial promise that we read in Scripture concerning what God had revealed to Abram at that early stage. Actually, in Ur of the Chaldees. Notice how it begins, chapter 12. The Lord had said, this is in the past tense, he had said these things when he met with Abram down there in Mesopotamia before he ever left it. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And he talks about his seed and so on. And so encapsulated within Abraham's or Abram's plea in chapter 15 is the confession, as we've seen, that he's frail and that his, mark, his life is marked with uh, fruitlessness, but that the answer to all that was enshrined within that great promise, that original promise that had been given by God to his servant Abram. It was that promise, therefore, that lay behind and gave strength to Abraham's plea in these two verses, verses 2 and 3. What was it, this plea, essentially? It was Abram's plea for God to turn things around. He says, I go childless. But Lord, you spoke to me about my seed. And especially, he was thinking about the promised seed in the, in the sense of Christ and all the elect of God down through the generations of time. For he said, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's what that promise was all about, that Christ would come as the mediator of the covenant, that Christ would be the redeemer of men, and that all the nations of the earth would benefit and be blessed through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise that I'm talking about, that Abraham, that Abraham is actually weaving in here. When he says, I go childless, and you've given me no seed, He's thinking about the Lord's initial promise. And therefore, that gave strength to the plea of the man of God. That's the measure of his prayer. Yes, it's a confession of his own personal bankruptcy and frailty in the sense that I've described for you, but it's a confession of his faith. He, he believes that God can turn things around. Let me take you to Romans 4. Because Romans 4 is a great commentary on what we're looking at here tonight. And we should always keep what Paul writes here in mind. Romans chapter 4, if you look with me in verse 17, Paul here is writing about Abraham in Romans 4. And he, 
He says this in verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. So there's a reference back to Genesis 12 and the promised seed and the extension of the gospel through the world. And so that's the context here. And then look at verse 18. It gets very personal here. I mean personal with regard to Abraham. It says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be. When it says that Abram might become the father of many nations, what does that mean? Does that mean that a plurality of nations were born from Abraham? No. But he's the father of many nations in the sense that from many, many, many nations a seed comes who look to Abraham as their spiritual father. That's what that language means. We must get that right. We must understand that. And so read on. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith. Romans 4.19 He considered not his own body now dead. When he was about 100 years old. Remember I mentioned his own personal frailty, uh, frailty and, and powerlessness and so on. Abram was absolutely incapable of turning things around. Because his body's dead. And his wife's body is dead. Physically speaking, they cannot bear children at the stage that they're at in, in life, and especially a little later on, of course. But anyhow, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That's the Holy Ghost commentary on Acts 15, or sorry, Genesis 15, and other surrounding chapters. And you should read those verses very, very carefully. What great faith we find Abraham had, really, because he pled with God, as we've noted, and then God began to speak again. If you go back, please, to Genesis 15, you will find that Abram, in relation to that initial promise, he then received a fresh reiteration from the Lord. Verse number 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, Genesis 15, 4, This shall not be thine heir. That is Eliezer of Damascus, whom he has mentioned. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. The Lord gave a fresh reiteration of what he initially had said in his first promise to Abram. He would have a seed. And now he repeats it. He reiterates it. Oh, my dear friend, the Lord can come and bring to your heart what he showed you previously. He often does that. He takes you back to what you saw before to what you learn, what you notice, whatever it might be. And he reiterates it again. That's what he's doing here with Abram. He says, Abram, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten what I told you. It's still in my mind. Now he reiterates. It's a fresh reiteration. And then there's a further revelation. Verse 5. It says, He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. That was further revelation. But brethren and sisters, that fresh reiteration that he would have his own seed, his own child, 
and beyond that, that there would be this immense, innumerable company brought in was now something new that Abraham had not seen before or heard before, really. This kind of language is used here for the very first time. The Lord's saying to Abram, and he uses the same kind of analogy about innumerable seed when he taught about the sand by the seashore. The Lord's showing Abram that his spiritual seed can't be counted. Only God knows those who are his. And this is a marvelous thing that's happening here. Here is the measure of his prayer. Yes, he confessed his frailty, but then it was a confession of his faith. Lord, you said this, but I haven't got the seed yet. You see, men and women, when we lay hold on God with a promise, with something from him that we've been given, and we bring it before him again and again, and we remind him of what he has said, that's when the Lord gives you more. He's testing his people. He always tests them. As it were, are you going to come back to me with that promise I gave you, whatever it was? Are you going to come back and plead it? He's waiting for that, maybe tonight. Maybe there's someone here and the Lord has given you promise very clearly, very definitely. It's not yet realized. Are you going to come back to the Lord in the midst of all your own frailty and saying, Lord, nonetheless, while I'm frail, thou art mighty, thou art powerful. Remember what we sang? Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. The motivation of his prayer, the measure of his prayer, and then closing just a little word, the momentum of his prayer. Because Abraham continues praying here with greater momentum as you read on. And so, as the Lord answered his initial plea in verses 2 and 3, Abraham looked for more light and he looked for more progress. That's what's going on here. And if you look at verse 7, I didn't read this, but I just read it now. Verse 7, and he said unto him, that's the Lord said unto him, Abraham, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? You know, that's another prayer. Lord, I want to know how that will be accomplished. And there's the momentum of his prayer. It gains momentum. It develops. It grows as the prayer time goes on. And I haven't time tonight because our time for preaching is just over, but whenever you look at the rest of this chapter, you'll find that the Lord showed Abram, much, much more than he had ever heard before. That's how the Lord answers prayer. He answers prayer exceeding abundantly. And he shows to his people far, far more as time goes by of what he's able to do. And all the rest of this chapter is about God's covenant purposes in and through Jesus Christ, the mediator and the Redeemer of his people. But if you read those verses carefully, you will find the whole way down that God is giving Abram here a revelation of the Savior and his death and his suffering and his cross work. And he's showing Abram, this is how that innumerable seed is going to be gathered through the cross, 
through the suffering of that seed in that sense. It's all here in Genesis 15 right down to the end of the chapter. But tonight as we come before the Lord, let's take to heart what we have seen here. Let's come before the Lord and may there be a motivating of our hearts to pray. And I really underline that, folks. I can't motivate you. I can't go down and grab you and say, would you pray? I can't do that. I say that because I, I know of a certain minister who one time was starting up a church and they just wouldn't pray. And he went into the midst of the middle, or into the middle of them and he grabbed them by the shoulder and he said, Will you pray? And the man says, I can't pray. He says, You're talking to me. Pray to the Lord now. Now that's rather, rather extreme. That's not real motivation. But may the Lord stir our hearts. And may your soul be moved tonight to lay hold on God and cry to heaven. And may there be a measure to our prayers. Though we confess our frailty, let us pray in faith. And may the momentum increase. The prayer life of Christ church needs momentum. Needs revived, refreshed. We need to have people coming in to pray and laying hold on God. And not just sitting back and letting other people do all the praying audibly. That should be our goal. But anyhow, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let us just have a word of prayer now. Father in heaven, remember us tonight. Bless thy truth to us. Give us hearts to lay hold on God. Give momentum tonight. O Lord, come among us. Let us not slack off. Let us not give way to the flesh. O Lord, may everything else just fade out of our minds. And may we settle ourselves before our God to call upon his great and wonderful name. For we ask all this for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.